From around the world today, we're receiving reports of the rapid-fire spread of a virus that transforms human beings into brain-eating zombies. According to witnesses from every corner of the globe, infected zombies are rampaging through city and countryside, attacking and biting unsuspecting passersby. After a count of 12 seconds, the victim is himself transformed into a walking corpse that is starved for human brains and can only be stopped by a bullet to the head. The president of the United States was on vacation in Delaware and could not be reached for comment, but was said to be carefully monitoring the situation between enjoying the occasional pistachio ice cream cone and quiet walks along the beach with his doctor wife. But White House spokeswoman Corrine Jean Identity Hire did address the D.C. press corps saying, quote, As a lesbian woman of color, I just want to say that our hearts go out to the zombie community today as they are under attack right now and really suffering. This president is committed to developing an across-the-board response to the rising tide of zombie phobia, along with the troubling trend of increasing gun violence, unquote. Some conservative outlets released what they claimed was a leaked zombie manifesto out of Nashville, Tennessee, which said in its entirety, quote, must eat brains, unquote. The chief of police in what used to be Nashville and now just a seething hive of brain-eating zombies responded to the manifesto release by announcing that he had begun a full investigation into who had leaked the document and would suspend the animated corpse of anyone who was responsible. The chief said, quote, Making this manifesto public could do untold damage to the sensitivities of those whose brains have been eaten. Believe me when I say that things look very different when the manifesto is read in context, and I'll do everything within my power to make sure that never happens. The rest of the chief's statement was cut short when he was swarmed and devoured. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib came under fire after reposting a statement on the social media platform X, which some said was pro-zombie. The statement read, quote, must eat brains, unquote. In a tearful speech from the House floor, Congresswoman Tlaib said she was not calling for the extermination of humanity, but had only intended to bring attention to the oppression and marginalization of a race of creatures who slaughter everyone with whom they come in contact. Fellow squad member Ayanna Presley rose to Dalib's defense saying, quote, words mean different things to different people. And while some, the slogan must eat brains might seem to call for certain death for billions of individuals to others, it's merely a statement of solidarity with those colonized non-Western cultures who want nothing more than certain death for billions of individuals, unquote. At Yale University, students took to the quad to demonstrate in favor of the zombie apocalypse led by the Ivy League organization Brainy People Who Support Zombies Who Eat Our Brains. Organization spokeswoman Molly Coddled explained her logic in an ear-splitting voice made shrill by a level of hysterical feminine entitlement that made you just want to give her the smack she deserves, saying, quote, For too long, humans have colonized the lands that rightly belong to indigenous zombies who did not exist until 12 seconds ago. The plight of these zombies has been ignored simply because of the color of their skin, which, of course, is green, although it's a little hard to make out under all the blood. But we are determined to stand with zombies as allies until every single one of us is devoured, unquote. News outlets throughout the world have been forced to cover the spreading zombie apocalypse with reporters whose brains have now been eaten, which hasn't actually changed the quality of their journalism one bit. NBC News, for instance, reported on the passionate but mostly peaceful zombies currently rampaging through the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Interviewed by NBC in the rotunda, Congressman Adam Schiff said, quote, at least they're not MAGA extremists. Also, must eat brains. Good morning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show.
All right, we are back laughing our way through the zombie apocalypse. I have a, I have a funny story. I think you'll like this story. I have a funny story to tell you. But first, let me take care of some business. Watch the interviews. We, every week on Wednesday, we release an interview. It's a long-form interview. Uh, so it'll take you through the Clavenless hours. Uh, last week, we did one with my daughter, Faith Moore, who has written a wonderful novel called Christmas Carol. We have uh, John Nolte coming up this week. You know John Nolte, the great columnist at Breitbart. He has a novel coming out, too, called uh, Borrowed Time. Uh, and also, please subscribe to my personal Andrew Claven YouTube channel. Because we will, you know, put, we'll put the interviews up there. We'll put all kinds of exclusive content up there uh, that we will, and we will send you, if you subscribe, we will personally send you exclusive content uh, wrapped in videos of murders so that the left thinks it's just a decolonization and won't uh, pick on you. And if you leave a comment and the comment is, you know, anti-Semitic and, you know, bigoted, so, so we can pretend you're a leftist, uh, we'll read the show, that on the show. Uh, today's comment is from Travis A. 6311. He says, I usually don't negotiate with terrorists, but after my wife threatened to leave me, if I didn't buy a house of love and death, I folded like a lawn chair. Well, yes, it, you know, if you want to not negotiate with terrorists, you have to first not marry them. That's, that's important. I wish the Democrat Party had figured that out, in fact. Uh, so, all right. So, here's, you know, I never know how much to tell you about this stuff because I don't want to make the show about me. But still, I, I think this is funny. First, we had a wonderful event at the Mysterious Bookshop in Manhattan. Uh, I did a little talk with Otto Penzler, the great mystery editor and the owner of the bookshop, and uh, signed a lot of, I mean, the place was packed. There were people pouring out into the streets. So thank you to everyone who showed up. I loved meeting you. I loved getting to talk to you, even though Otto was yelling at everybody to hurry up because he wanted the, the line, the signing line to move. I especially enjoyed uh, several guys. There were several guys there who uh, brought their pregnant wives just to show me that they had followed my very careful instructions instructions on how to save the country. And so I was very uh, chuffed by that. The book uh, has been doing great. It uh, was, it's made the USA Today list, um, which the bestseller list, which is great. And on the PW list, which is the only honest fiction list there is, it's the only list where they just count the books and tell you who's selling the most books. On the PW list, uh, it was number eight, and it was up there with uh, all the big uh, selling uh, thriller writers and every one of them was up there with me, uh, and I was number eight. And that is completely due to you and your support. It is completely due to the people who are hearing my voice right now and who went out and buy the, bought the book. And if you haven't yet, I hope you will. And I'll tell you why, especially I hope you will, because you might be saying, well, if you were number eight on the honest book bestseller list, uh, why weren't you on the New York Times list? You might be saying. So all these other lists, and they're not that many of them, but the, you know, there's BookScan and Amazon and, um, and the PW list and USA Today, they count the books that are being sold. And the ones that sold the best are called the best sellers because they are selling best, not the New York Times. The New York Times does something different. They send out a ballot to bookstores, and this ballot uh, you know, has a list of books that they put on, and the booksellers you know, tell you which, which of those books is selling best. Now, if you're not on there, the bookseller can write you in, but you have about as much chance of, of winning as a write-in candidate in an election. They're just not going to take the time to do that. So, so the, the fellow who essentially runs Mysterious Press, Charles, called up, the, contacted the guy who runs the New York Times list and said, we have a book that is selling as well as anything in the top 10, as the, you know, around nine, 8, 9, and 10, 
And uh, so we'd like you to track it. So they said, well, send the book. And he sent them two of the books that Mysterious has brought out recently. One was mine, and one was another good book that is selling, but not selling as well as mine. And so the ballot came out, and it had the other book on it, but not mine. <laughs> so I said, I said, I don't know. Maybe now I feel bad that I called the editors of the New York Times subhuman crap creatures squeezed out of the flaming red tuchus of a yak-like beast in the bowels of hell. I feel a little bit bad about that because the truth is I, I was being, I was brown nosing, hoping they'd put me on the list. I was being nice and uh, they, you know, I just thought maybe that would get me on the list. And now that they did, now that it didn't work, I feel guilty that I lied to you and was nicer to the new people at the New York Times than I should have been. I have to tell you, in all honesty, I thought, I, I don't know, I just thought that story is virtually proof that they're keeping me off the list, which is hilarious. But I, I will tell you this in all honesty, if a if an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and said, I will e you can either be on the call on the New York Times bestseller list or you can say on air that the New York Times editors are subhuman crap creatures squeezed out of the flaming red tuchus of the yak-like creature in the bowels of hell. I would take choice B every single time. The glee, the rewards of telling the truth and being honest with you really just outstrip anything that the world has to offer. And that just means also that everything that I get and everything the book has gotten, which is a lot and it's wonderful, comes from you. And so again, I thank you and I urge you, if you haven't bought the book yet, or you know somebody who might, else who might enjoy it for Christmas, please go out and get the house of love and death because it's us against them. <laughs> it's us against the world and, uh, and we're going to win, but it's going to be a long, slow fight. All right, let's get down to the business now. Today's episode, Music City Madness. All right, today I'm going to talk about the left-wing manifesto of the Nashville mass shooter. Uh, girl, we don't name mass shooters here at the Daily Wire, but it's girl uh, swept into the psychosis of induced transgenderism. And apparently... From what we got about of the manifesto, influenced by the hate-filled racist doctrine of critical race theory and other leftist uh, ideas, this was a big scoop by Stephen Crowder. Everybody's been trying to get this manifesto. They've been covering it up. Uh, Crowder got it, and I congratulate him on it. Uh, excellent scoop. There's obviously bad blood between Crowder and the Daily Wire, and I will address that a little bit. But the big story is the manifesto and the attempt to cover it up. So let's begin with that. Chapter one, a monster's manifesto. You have probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet. But if you're like me, adding an extra step to anything you do every day just sounds like a hassle. Well, if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it's very fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect, but ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues. And using it couldn't be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, Click one button and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash Clavin, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Clavin to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Clavin. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how do you spell VPN? It's K-L-A-V-A-N.
So one of the themes I've been harping over, maybe the main theme I've been harping on these uh, past couple of months is this culture that we're in now is a truly dark, degraded, and immoral culture politically and in every other way. And just, uh, we're going through a dark time. I told you we were going, that was going to happen probably more than a year ago. Now it has arrived. The stuff that's happening in the streets, the anti-Semitism, all of it is really, and the corruption of the DOJ and the treatment of Donald Trump, it's all just really, really ugly stuff. And that tasks us with a difficult job. And it is a job for real men, because as you know, I believe that women produce the future, but men sort of determine what that future is going to be like. But it is also a job for women. And it's a, it's a tough job. It is the job of living out an entirely alternative culture within ourselves and among ourselves uh, and not building a reactive culture. Obviously, we have to fight the bad guys. Obviously, we have to fight our opponents. But we can't just react to our opponents if we're so angry at our degraded and corrupt media and the immoral left, and we're just reacting to them, then they control us. They set the agenda. And that's why I feel we lose so often culturally is because we do react. We think that things were just fine and they come along and do something awful. And instead of saying, well, you know, what? here's what we want. Here's what how we want to make the future because the future is change. That's what the future is. Things change. We, we react to them and we're always fighting them. And instead of being something fresh, and new and appealing that is also traditional and based in our values. One of the most disgusting things about our culture, something that genuinely makes my gorge rise, is when the media, it's almost always the media and the left, they're almost the, the ones who do it first, they jump on these mass shootings when innocent people are slaughtered by some lunatic and before the bodies are cold and before the broken hearts of the people who have lost their loved ones are mended, they use these things as a way to make political points. And what's so frustrating about that is if the shooter can in some way be connected to conservatism, by which I mean our constitutional traditions of limited government and freedom, the freedom to say what you want, the freedom to be who you want, the freedom to make, to keep the government off your back. If in some way, in any way, the shooter can be tied to conservatives and staying conservatives, that becomes the issue. And every conservative is asked to sort of denounce this guy who might have shot somebody for something that the left considers part of the, the right wing. And so, or maybe even something that is part of the right, right wing. Uh, and we're supposed to renounce this as if all of us are potential shooters. If they can't do that, if they can't do that, it's you. And the reason they want to do that is because they don't like constitutional freedom. They want the government to create this paradise of fairness and, and perfection that's always just 20 years away. And in the meantime, they just have to step on your neck. That's So that's the first thing. And if they can't do that, they use it to try to disarm us, to take away our Second Amendment rights to defend ourselves so that basically we can be made slaves by authoritarian leftists without fighting back. So that's the way they use these things. And they do it relentlessly. They do it heartlessly. They do it cruelly. Uh, they use whoever they can use. They just twist anything they can. To add on to the disgustingness of this uh, vomitous procedure is that they memory hole any shooter who is a left winger or can be connected to the left. It doesn't happen in reverse. And when an insane girl who thinks she's an insane boy walks into a Christian school and kills three beautiful Christian children and three equally beautiful Christian adults in the name of 
leftist racism, it's covered up. It's silenced. And it is just absolutely infuriating. And it is silenced with that po-faced dishonesty with which the left does things. Oh, no, we're not silencing it. And it's good that we're silencing it. And we'll never let it go. But that's not we're not a silencing it. So the photographs of her manifesto released by Crowder, just to read them in part, uh, kill those kids, those crackers going to private fancy schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. Uh, I wish to shoot you weak ass so-and-sos, your mop yellow hair, want to kill all you little crackers, bunch of little so-and-sos, your white privileges, and so on. Now, the motives of every other shooter, except the guy in Las Vegas, who it may have, I don't know if this is true, so I just say some things that are around. May, he may have been motivated by Islamism, but I don't know. Every other shooter, the motives are revealed and then used to wield against conservatives. When this horrible event went down, the police chief in Nashville, John Drake, promised the Republican governor, Bill Lee, that the manifesto would soon, soon, quote unquote, be released. Now, I'm reading from Daily Wire reporting by Luke Rosiak. Drake broke that promise. For the better part of a year, Nashville's police department refused to release the manifesto, citing a series of contradictory excuses. The Metropolitan Police Department and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations denied open records requests from the Daily Wire, the Tennessee Star, and other outlets, citing that it was on an ongoing investigation, even though the shooter was dead, so it wasn't. The Star and others sued, and the police department then claimed it could not release the manifesto because it was the subject of litigation. So it was a catch-22 given that the litigation was about its refusal to release the manifesto. That's Luke Rosiak writing in the Daily Wire. Now, all three networks have refused to cover Crowder's scoop, this this part portion of the manifesto that he got. Crowder claims that social media has repeatedly censored it, and I believe him, though I, he did say Google had repressed it, and I found it very easily uh, on Google, but I believe it's, it has been censored. Uh, he has pictures of it, so I believe it has been censored. And and the, the networks aren't covering it. According to Newsbusters, the networks just are not going to. It's just not there. You know, it's not there because they don't want to they don't want to tar the left the way they tar the right and the way they use the dead bodies of children and, and people uh, and the grief of people to tar the right. They don't want to do that to the left. And I'm sure that's the reason. And we all know that's the reason uh, the police insanely in Nashville are investigating the leak rather than simply releasing the manifesto. They've suspended some guys saying not that there are suspects, but that they, you know, they're involved in the investigation. Crowder says that some police personnel were involved in the leak. And of course, he's protecting the sources as he should. And I don't even know. I mean, I'm really disappointed in the higher ups of the Nashville uh, police department, although it sounds to me like maybe some of the rank and file of the Nashville police department are also unhappy about this, but I don't really know whether to blame them because I strongly suspect that they're under heavy pressure from the Department of Justice, which is now obviously utterly corrupt at the top. And it's basically a political organization. Uh, And if that's so, look, I would prefer to see the Nashville police chief stand up against them, but I know how much power they have. And so I would blame them first. And I'm glad if somebody among the rank and file got this out to Crowder, I'm glad that's what they should have done. Now, here's what I want to say about this. There's two things that I want to say about it. We all know there's one reason this manifesto is being covered up. The, the brilliant psychiatrist, Hannibal Lecter, from Silence of the Lambs, in Silence of the Lambs, he points out something important, which is the transgender people are not typically violent. But the serial killer in that novel, Buffalo Bill, 
is, is not a transgender person. He's someone who wants to be a transgender person. He's someone who has convinced himself he's transgender and wants an operation but can't get it because in those days people had some kind of um, morals about this and some kind of ethics about it and they wouldn't give it to you if they didn't think you were really transgender. transgender. And he's violent because the world will not approve of the lie that he's telling himself. He's a gay guy and he wants to be to think he's a woman and he's jealous of women and he's violent because the world will not approve his fantasy. The reason transgenderism is such a violent movement, and it is because we know this, because Matt Walsh and his beautiful family, I mean, obviously Walsh is beautiful, but his family is beautiful, are under threat all the time for their statements about it. They, you know, Knowles was burned in effigy. I mean, that was me, but still, I mean, Knowles has been attacked uh, again and again for his statements about it. We're, si- you know, silenced, obviously, on YouTube if we talk about it. That violence, uh, is not, I believe, is because I would guess about 98% of the people involved in the transgender movement are not transgender, but simply would are in, suffering from induced transgenderism, the induced belief that they can change their gender. A, a regular transgender person has a problem. He has a mental problem that he feels very, very, very powerfully that he's a woman in a man's body. We don't know why that happens. We don't know the cause of it at all. But, but those people, after dealing, you know, find a way to deal with their problems, sometimes by having an operation and living as the opposite sex, you know, what can you say about that? People have all kinds of problems. They have to, they all have to choose which way they're going to go. But that's not what's happening in this country. When people are going in and grooming elementary school children to be queer, telling them they can change their, this is a mental illness, an induced mental illness of people who are not transgender, but think they should be and think other people should be. The horrible, evil, polluted, corrupt, warped philosophy known as wokeism, which includes critical race theory and queer theory and all the rest, tells these people that social structures that grow up around the nature of human beings are just random power constructs meant to oppress them, and anybody can take them apart and be anything he wants to be. It's just society that is keeping you from being what they are, and that's a lie, and it's driving people crazy, and it's, it's, it's inducing psychosis. Uh, and, and this is evil. Selling queerness to children is evil. Selling them porn is evil. Cutting up their bodies uh, so they fit your concept, philosophical, philosophical concept of what the world should be. These things are evil, and it has to do with this ideology, this woke ideology, not with the condition of transgenderism, which is extraordinarily rare. When you have an ideology that's evil, it's like having a, a web, an electronic web over your brain. It takes your thoughts in certain directions. That's what an ideology does. It starts with false conclusions, like every all social constructs are bad and a power construct meant to oppress you by the elites, the people who have power. That's just a lie. It's just a bad construct. And then it basically guides your thoughts along this electric web where you get to the point where you butcher a child to, to make his body into a costume of the opposite sex. That is what happens. This is how civilized people come to think that Abortion, tearing a child from his mother's womb is acceptable. They have this ideological web in their brain that starts with the idea that, you know, women should be free to have sex without consequences, a, a false, inhuman premise. And, and then they get to the point where they're literally ripping little babies out of their mother's womb. And that's and these are people who are not didn't start out evil, but now they're doing an evil thing. And as long as that you're thinking inside your head in that web, you can do these evil things. But as soon as you see the evil, 
as soon as you face the evil, if you have anything left of the conscience God gave you, as soon as you see the pornographic books that are putting, being put in elementary school or see the violent attacks on white people and the oppression of white children for being white, when you see the anti-Semitism on college campuses from your decolonization theories, when you see abortion, when you really see what it is, when you see the atrocities committed by Hamas, your whole body knows that you are looking at evil and ashamed. Your conscience is not just logic. You know, your conscience is a natural gift from God and it is your whole, the whole human experiences the evil when he sees it in front of it, right? The minute you see with your own eyes what an abortion is, what decolonization means, what gender-affirming care really looks like, all that pretty language disappears and the conscience that is the image of God in you rises up inside you and then you have a choice. You have a choice. Either experience the shame of the evil that you believed in and possibly committed and repent and change, right? That's the first thing that Jesus said was metanoia, change your mind, which is hard and painful because first you have to face the thing or you retreat into the certainties of your ideology, close your eyes, which is easy, and try to make those images go away. And that's why people are tearing down the signs of Israeli hostages, because in your, their head, this decolonization was great until you see what it means for a little child to be carried away from his mother into hostile territory, for a woman to be carried away and repeatedly raped and maybe killed and stripped naked and her body mutilated. When you see that, you say, no, I'm going to tear that down because that's got to be misinformation because I want to live in this web where I don't have to feel ashamed. That's why YouTube censors people who tell the truth about this induced psychosis. That's why they do it, because they don't want to see it, because then that, that means, oh, I, they did something evil. The other day, outside the Museum of Tolerance, which is the Holocaust Museum in L.A., uh, Gal Gadot, who's an Israeli, uh, the actress, uh, screened filmings of the October 7th atrocities, which are mind-boggling. And remember, as who was it? It was uh, Douglas Murray today who was saying that um, the Nazis committed equal atrocities, but they were ashamed and they became alcoholic. They became impotent, some of them, uh, because they knew they were doing something evil. These guys are gleeful about it. These guys are way, way gone. And outside the museum, well, you can just run the film, like outside the museum, there was a fight that broke out outside because these guys do not want to see the pro-Palestinians are attacking the, the pro-Israelis because they, and now it just becomes a melee because they do not want to see who they are. They want to stay in that web of ideology inside their head where they don't have to feel the shame. The officials in Nashville, maybe pressured by the officials in Washington, have taken that easy choice as well. And good on Crowder for breaking through to get at the truth, even as they continue to cover up the shameful thing that they did, which is is covering up this this sick woman's philosophy so as not to offend the woke left. So that's the first thing I want to say, say. The second thing is this. I don't want to play this game. I do not want to participate. This thing where we seize on a mass murder and make a point, even if it works to our advantage. I want to point out the hypocrisy. I want to point out the wickedness of what they do and the way they do it. But this is not the game I want to play. This sick young woman did not kill people because of the evil of wokeism. The evil of wokeism appealed to her because she was mentally ill, or as we used to say when we spoke plainly, she's demon infested. This is what it means to have a demon in you or demons in you. This is, you know, mental illness is fine because that 
points out that there's a medical approach, but there also has to be a spiritual approach. This woman was broken and evil, and that's why the wokeism appealed to her. But it could have been, we all know it could have been, something more associated with the right wing, like white supremacy. That's evil, too, and that could have appealed to her. It could have been Islamism, which is not Islam. It is a specific philosophy. My pal Ed Hussein wrote about it in the Wall Street Journal today. Islamism is a specific philosophy that is murderous and brutal, and that could have appealed to her. It could have been some twisted version of Christianity. We know that people have killed in the name of Christ. Evil wears a million masks, and this gotcha game where we play with the blood of innocence to make our political point, and where we look at the mask and say, ah, see, there's the evil, isn't evil in itself. It is pointing away from the truth. And I'm not going to do it. And you're not going to do it. We are not going to do this. We are not going to participate and be reactionary, even when it's to our political advantage, because I think it's more to our political advantage to be something better than that, because that's how you change the culture, by being a better, different culture. I am disgusted and frustrated by the hypocrisy of the left and the, the corruption of the media. I am disgusted by it. But instead of being part of it and just reacting to it, we have built here at The Daily Wire another media. And each of us is a media. Each of us is a medium for ideas by living different ideas. Evil got into this shooter. This is a poor, broken child of God who murdered six beautiful innocents. And yeah, this time it was wokeism, which is evil. It is evil, but it could have been Islamism, which is also evil. It could have been white supremacy, which is also evil. We don't need new gun laws. Uh, that's not going to change anything, first of all. And we don't need new <laughs> evil ideologies. We've got plenty of evil ideologies. What we are lacking is a spiritual and medical system for dealing with people in this condition because all these shooters are in this condition. Almost every single one of them is mentally ill or demon-infested or what I believe is both. I believe these two things are basically synonyms for each other. And we need medical doctors, which is a good thing to deal with the mental illness. We need police powers. I'm sorry. I know some conservatives don't like it, but for very specific things, we need police powers so that the police can do something when a family calls and says, my daughter is mentally ill and violent and stockpiling weapons and making threats in her diary. The police don't just shrug and walk away because they have no police power. We need the ability to do this, to force them to have medical care. And of course, we need to rebuild our religion because our churches stink. Our churches are gutted of, of belief. Our churches are cowardly. They're putting up gay pride flags and BLM banners instead of the cross of Christ. We need to, this is the system we need to rebuild. And until we do that, there are going to be mass shootings all over the place. Induced transgenderism, abortion, woke racism, decolonization, the hatred of Jews, the support of Hamas. These are all one thing. And I'm going to talk about that a little more later on at the, toward the end of this, this show. But this web, these webs of ideology, they get into people's heads uh, and, and they live in their heads. And then when they see what they've done, what they've become, they can only turn away. They do not want to face the shame. I definitely denounce the people who are covering this manifesto up, but I'm not going to seize on it and say this proves that wokeism is evil. I can prove wokeism is evil without dead children. I don't need to stand on the body of a dead child to prove that wokeism is evil, and I'll talk about that later on. But here, you know, there's a wonderful book that I read when I was a young man and just loved it. Uh, I haven't read it in a while, but I was looking at it the other day. It's still pretty wonderful. It's about mythology. It's by a guy named Joseph Campbell. Some of you may know it because it played into the plot of Star Wars. It's called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And the point is that the hero of mythology has, has a thousand different forms. But the enemy has a thousand faces too. And all these ideologies are just faces of the enemy. And if we're going to be drawn into being reactionary so that we play the same ugly game that the left plays 
one of those faces of evil is going to be ours, and we're not going to do it. This week, our friends at Preborn came to visit our offices. I believe in their mission. I know you do, too, which is why I'm so happy to have them as a sponsor on my show. Who wouldn't want to help mothers and their children in crisis? Preborn is reaching into the hearts of women by allowing them to hear the hearts of their babies and introducing them to their precious lives. It's a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies' lives, but it doesn't stop there. Your gift of $28 for a free ultrasound goes directly to women in need, and Preborn doesn't take any of that money. They independently fundraise for their team to continue to make a difference. They offer mothers maternity clothes, doctor visits, and the help they need. All gifts are tax-deductible and will go directly towards saving babies' lives. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash Andrew. That's preborn.com slash Andrew. Chapter two, berserkers and generals. So just briefly, I want to deal with this Crowder Daily Wire bad blood. You know, uh, Crowder got this scoop and I didn't hear this. I didn't hear this personally, but I was told that on his show, he didn't mention the Daily Wire by name, but he sort of uh, kind of danced on, uh, attacked a, a site that was obviously uh, the Daily Wire, which, I don't know, it's kind of graceless. I mean, I feel like he scooped us. Congrats. Take the, take the W. But I'm not interested in any kind of a feud. And I have to say, the way I see it, I'm just being absolutely bluntly obvious, uh, bluntly honest. Um, Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, characters fate. And I know the people involved here, and I feel very certain that they're, what their fates are and where their characters are going to lead them, and that's all I need to know, right? That's all, that's all I need to know. I, I feel like uh, justice will be done. And so let me just say, as a personal matter, all my sympathy in this is with Jeremy uh, and the Daily Wire. I mean, you can say it's my interests. Absolutely. You can say Jeremy's my friend. He is. You can say he pays my salary. He does. It's all true. But it's also my judgment that Jeremy's been hard done by. I've said this before, that having his phone tapped by Crowder was incredibly wrong. But also the charges about him. And this isn't just Crowder. It's all a certain group of keyboard warriors who come on and attack him of sort of colluding with uh, with YouTube. And that's what I actually want to talk about, you know. YouTube is a left-wing, censorious uh, platform, and it does everything it can to silence us and suppress us and uh, work against us. And and Jeremy has taken <laughs> taken that with his system, and he's used that to build the most influential and powerful cultural force the right has seen in a long time. So if that makes Jeremy a bad guy, I mean, my feeling is bad, well, bad you, Jeremy, but to me, that's generalship. And this is the bigger point about this. That's nothing to do with Crowder. You know, the other day I was talking about Leroy Jenkins. Remember that hilarious meme? That meme always cracks me up with a guy in a a video game who runs into the fray blindly uh, while everyone else is still strategizing. And essentially he's a berserker, right? The Viking warriors had berserkers who would go battle mad and they would win the battle because they become a temporary superhero. The Hulk in Marvel is basically based on on the berserkers. Berserkers win battles. And we saw that just the other day with Matt Gates in the House leadership battle. But generals win wars. Generals win wars. Strategy wins wars. If all you've got is Leroy Jenkins every time, you win some battles and it's great, but you lose the war. And to me, this is the way that Republicans operate. They 
you know, they do something and they win and then the people who go right back to being Democrats because the Democrats have the strategy and they do it. This week, Democrats won elections that Republicans could have won. Very disappointing, especially in Virginia, where Glenn Youngkin is doing an excellent job as uh, governor, and he was trying to win both houses. He lost both houses, which was a surprise in Ohio. They amended the Constitution uh, to guarantee the right to kill babies. Very important right, because a fundamental human right to be able to use the female body for mindless pleasure. And then if she becomes uh, fruitful and threatens to multiply, you kill that baby. That's in the Bible. Uh, Obviously, in the Bible, God is telling us not to do it, but still it's in the Bible. So we lost Vivek Ramaswamy's best moment in the last debate was pointing out that the party (laughs) doesn't have the courage to be who it is, is cut one. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Christian Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Chris, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you in the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Roberts. This is how we get our country back. And Kristen, while he's absolutely right about her, why is she there? Why is she there? The left would never do that. They have the courage to be who they are. The Republicans don't. And they let the left, they're so used to being bullied and beaten by the leftist media, they let the left set the agenda. Vivek, I didn't think he had a very good debate. I think he's a, you know, I think he's a shallow well. But still, still, that was a great moment. And it's and he's absolutely right. Abortion. This is the best example. Abortion seems to have been the deciding issue, the Roe v. Wade, until Roe v. Wade was overturned, Republicans could say, oh, I'm pro-life without having to do anything. And that was easy. Now they're the dog that caught the car. Now, I have a friend, Jeff Anderson. He's at the American Main Street Initiative uh, think tank, American Main Street Initiative. And he's an excellent statistician. I think he was uh, Trump's statistician. Uh, and he was going over the exit polls and he sent me some of his his takeaways. And I, I won't break down the I won't get it all into the weeds of the numbers. I just want to get make the point that most people, a majority of people, are in a spectrum in the middle. They either think that abortion should be legal but restricted, or they think it should be illegal but allowed in some places, right? One or the other. With that group, which is the majority, Republicans tend to win because the Democrats are the extreme ones, and Republicans can, can win. But on the extreme sides, the people who are pro-abortion are twice as many as the people who are pro-life, and they show up because they're extreme, right? They're, you know, they're so so it's like in, in Ohio, about 58% were in the middle, and they were divided on the um, amendment, but 28% were all for abortion, and only 12% were pro-life. So the majority is in the middle, tends to vote Republican, 
but they are swarmed by the pro-abortion voters who are passionate and turn up en masse. And that's a very tough situation for us pro-lifers, right? They have to, it, you have to draw people from the center while still inspiring the people on your side, the pro-life people, to show up. What the Democrats did was they just swarmed the airways. I'm telling you, I was there every day, every minute. You know, there was an, a pro-abortion commercial. And these calling the Republicans extreme. They want to shut down all abortions. And these people get ginned up and they show up. And the Republicans did nothing. They did not have the courage of their convictions. <laughs> the strategy seems to me obvious. It's tough, but it's obvious. You forcefully make the argument that Democrat positions are extreme. You run an ad that says this. Ask a Democrat, ask candidate X when they would limit abortion because they never will. They'd kill that baby the day before. And in limit in, in Europe, the limit is usually about four months. They should stop saying 15 weeks. They should say four months because people know it's nine months, 15 weeks. Even I have to do the math before I think that's four months pregnant. That's what we want, they should say, if they can get away with it four months. And then make the argument that we'll limit it at, at four months while Democrats want to abort babies until the moment of birth. Now, the reason they don't do that is because they're afraid that their base will say, no, no, this is evil. You have to stop it. It has to be 100% limitation. And then you lose and the babies die. That's the thing. That's the berserker strategy. You you lose, the babies die because you cannot make that case in a purple state like Virginia or in a state like Ohio. These people will show up. You ha this is a two-front war. And you know that I am incredibly pro-life. I am 100% pro-life. This is a two-front war. You win what you can politically. It's a numbers game. You got to get the numbers. And on the culture, you do what Lila Rose does so wonderfully, which is you speak with compassion. You speak slowly, patiently, year, day by day, month by month, year by year, and eventually you change people's minds so that, that those numbers uh, that Jeff Anderson from the, you know, American Mainstream, Main Street Initiative sent over, those numbers start to change. Nikki Haley said what I thought was a, just a totally honest thing. Cut to. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband Michael was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children. So I'm surrounded by blessings. Having said that, when you look Post Roe, a wrong was made right. They took it out of the hands of unelected justices and they put it in the hands of the people. And now we're seeing states vote. And what I'll tell you is, as much as I'm pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. So when we're looking at this, there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side. I welcome that. There are some states that are going more on the pro-choice side. I wish that wasn't the case, but the people decided. But when it comes to the federal law, which is what's being debated here, be honest, it's going to take 60 Senate votes, a majority of the House, and a president to sign it. So no, we haven't had 60 Senate votes in over 100 years. We might have 45 pro-life senators. So no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president can ban these state laws. See, the thing is, I've been joking about Nikki Haley that she's Jeb exclamation point in a, in a skirt. And the reason I'm doing this is because the Wall Street Journal is sending all their best journals trying to make Nikki a thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she'll be a thing. She, I have to say this about her. The one thing, I, I don't like her because I don't think she really understands what the battle is about. And I think she cops out when the culture war gets too hot. But, but still, still, the one thing I really admire about her is she says what she says. And this is a problem I have with DeSantis, who is a far better, a far better governor than Nikki Haley was, uh, you know, far more solid guy in the culture war, a guy I really respect. And 
the one thing I got to say is he dodges questions sometimes and she doesn't. She says what she believes, even though it's going to cost her. That's probably because she doesn't think she's going to win. But still, it, it, I thought she did really well with that on the debate. And so it'll all be interesting when, when Trump <laughs> becomes the candidate. Well, if like me, you're a few centuries out of school or maybe just decades or maybe just years and you're wondering what the heck did I ever learn and what was the point? You might even be thinking, I don't have the time to learn anything new. If that's you, you're not alone. It's not too late. Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses. Learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, which I'm thinking about every day, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses. If you're not sure where to start, check out American Citizenship and its decline with Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. Start your free course of American citizenship and its decline with Victor Davis Hanson today. Go to hillsdale.edu slash Clavin to enroll. There's no cost. It's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash Clavin to enroll. hillsdale.edu slash Clavin. You're probably thinking, how do you spell edu? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Chapter three, this quiet, sinister man. I want to show you something, and I hope you won't take this the wrong way. I want to show you an expert at generalship, and I don't know if it's him or the people who run him. I I know people who think he's run by a clique of, you know, mysterious globalists somewhere. I have no way of knowing that that's true. But Barack Obama is a man who knows exactly what he's doing. He had a, a... reunion with his administration and campaign friends in Chicago, I believe it was last week, uh, celebrating the 15th anniversary of fundamentally destroying the country. And Obama, who waited two and a half days to say anything about the slaughter of uh, innocents on October 7th, he came up with this wonderful response to the war against Hamas that Israel is now fighting in Gaza. This is what he said, cut three. If there's any chance of us being able to act constructively to do something, it will require an admission of complexity and maintaining what on the surface may seem contradictory ideas. That, that what Hamas did was horrific and there's no justification for it. And what is also true is that the, the occupation and what's happening to Palestinians is is unbearable. He went on to say that all of us are complicit. And remember, there is no occupation in Gaza. The occupation in Gaza has long been over. Anything that Israel is doing there is for charitable reasons. They're not in prison. They're just not let into Israel for obvious reasons because they'd kill them. And nobody wants them because they're madmen. Obama is complicit. Obama is complicit. He lied to us and he said he was going to just trying to keep Iran from getting a nuclear bomb when really he had a strategy, strategy, which was to strengthen Iran so Iran would take over the Middle East. That was his strategy. Uh, Wall Street Journal, Elliot Kaufman writing 
Uh, Obama sent Iran $1.7 billion in cash, released some $100 billion in frozen assets, unshackled Iranian industry. His plan to extricate the U.S. from the Middle East was suitably complex. Find a rapprochement with Iran that would empower it to stabilize the region for us. Predictably, Tehran used the money to build up each front, Gaza, Lebanon, the West Bank, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen, in today's war on Israel. So in other words, his passion for decolonization colonization, his hate, Obama's hatred of the West, his hatred of Jews. He was empowering a terrorist state, Iran, to take over the Middle East so we could leave because there wouldn't be any democracies left for us to defend, basically. That's, that was basically it. He had no voting record when he ran. Remember all those votes where he voted present? His anti-Americanism, his anti-Semitism, his anti-Christianity, they were all hidden behind his One America rhetoric. And every time he got caught out when something was recorded, he was talking about people clinging to their Bibles and guns. The press, as one phalanx, ran forward to cover it up and say, remember when Joe the plumber stepped up and talked to him about socialism? They went after Joe the plumber. Amazing. They went after a plumber because he exposed who Obama was. They all knew who he was, but he didn't say who he was. And the people were charmed by him. He was charming. And they they were uh, interested in his youth and his vitality and all that stuff. And now half of Biden's people are Obama's people, as Obama has bragged himself, and he's sending them this signal. And and they're going out to, to Israel and saying, let's have a ceasefire. A ceasefire is surrender to death. And remember, they're saying, well, the children, the, the children, just remember, every terrorist who lives will kill more children than will be killed by the Israelis who are doing everything they can not to kill them. So if a terrorist is hiding behind two children, do you kill the terrorist? Yes, you do. You try everything you can do not to hurt those children, but you cannot let that terrorist go by because then more children will die. So just consider for a minute Obama's long-term planning that he did for evil purposes that can be done for good purposes. He won what he could win when he won it. When he could win it, he stocked the personnel of the government with his people. He embedded people in the deep state, and he knew what he was doing. He's not a guy who wins the battle today. He's absolutely uh, satisfied to win it over time. I don't think Trump can win the next election, but I could be wrong. You know, I mean, people are so angry about the injustice or true injustice that they're doing to him that they might vote for him. But I just don't believe that he can transform himself from a berserker into a general. Again, I could be wrong. When people say when people say I attack him, oh, I have Trump derangement syndrome. No, this is my problem. I want somebody to come back in and take back the government for the United States of America, its freedoms, its traditions, its religion. That's what I want to see. So look, I, I only have one vote. I only have my voice. I'm telling you what I see. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm con- deeply concerned about this election because I think we got a berserker in the lead, and I think what we need is a general. But it will be as it will be. Let's get to our final chapter. Thanksgiving is just two weeks away. Just in time for the holidays, Genucel is offering their best sale of the year. Right now, you can get 70% off Genucel's most popular package, which now includes Genucel 3, their newest under-eye treatment. Genucel 3 will have you looking 10, 15, or even 20 years younger. It uses advanced technology to deliver complex vitamins and minerals directly to your face for instant hydration. Say goodbye to fine lines, crow's feet, under-eye bags, and dark spots. The Genucel experience is like no other, but don't just take my word for it. Genucel will have you looking and feeling your absolute best guaranteed or your money back. No questions asked. 
My producer, Danny, was able to meet George, who was the CEO of GenuCell yesterday. I met him, too. He was a great guy. Our favorite thing about GenuCell is how clean their products are. They are simply the best. You deserve to look and feel your best this holiday season. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin to get this incredible holiday discount. 70% off their most popular package, which includes the GenuCell 3 and the Dark Spot Corrector. Get results in 12 hours or less. The immediate effects are included for free. GenuCell.com slash Clavin for 70% off today, plus free priority shipping. That's GenuCell.com slash Clavin. I know you're desperate at this point, just thinking, if only I knew how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. No E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. There are no E's in Clavin. Final chapter, nude scenes. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, there he goes again, right? You're thinking, oh, he just wants to talk about nude scenes because he likes to ogle naked women. And it is true that I do enjoy a good nude scene, but only because as an artist and as somebody who appreciates the art, I like to ogle naked women. But this is actually connected to what I've been talking about. A new study out of UCLA's Center for Scholars and Storytellers, which sounds like nonsense, but still, they, they have a new study that says that 51.5% of adolescents would like to see more content depicting friendships and platonic relationships. of youth felt that romance in media is overused. Around 39% would like to see more depictions of not romantic and not sexual characters. And 47.5% reported that sex is not necessary to the majority of TV shows and movie plots. Now, you know, if this is true, um, that it's interesting because they're making all those shows. What is that show called? Ecstasy. I can't remember the show about Euphoria, thank you. Uh, it about uh, euphoria. It's like one sex scene after another, and it's all six sex and all this stuff. But this, they're saying that young people would like to see less of this. Now, as you know, I think the most important thing we can be doing in the physical sphere right now is ramping up the production of pregnant wives. I think we need more pregnant wives. Pregnant wives are a sign that young people are doing what they should be doing if they've been impregnated by their husbands, instead of what everyone is telling them they should be doing. Uh, and so you could read this survey as kind of disappointing that these young people are some turning away from their basic instincts. But I think there's a more positive way to see this. I hope there is. One of my favorite quotes from the Bible is St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians saying, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, we're not dealing with a political fight. We're not dealing with a personal fight. We're dealing with a spiritual fight. And what I like about this quote is that I believe it's literally true. We're not actually fighting this guy or that guy. What we're really fighting is evil in the spiritual realm that affects us here. And you can do that without hating people if you're fearless. If if you tell the truth and if you act with righteousness no matter what, if you have faith that's strong enough to be willing to face persecution and maybe, you know, being thrown off Twitter or whatever, uh, and maybe even being killed, if you have that faith, you can fight that fight without hating anybody. You just hate the evil and go after the evil. Sometimes that means hurting a person, like putting him in prison or, or executing him or whatever, but still, uh, you're, you're, what you're dealing with is the evil. But, but, everything we experience in this world, we experience by material means. This is, uh, as Madonna said, not the Madonna, but Madonna said, this is a material world. We experience the spiritual through the physical. We eat bread and wine to taste the body and blood, Evil moves through a mentally ill woman with a rifle. Uh, 
And love is the same thing. You love your spouse. You make love to your spouse. You kiss your spouse. Uh, and you do other things, too. Not just sex, but you walk together. You hold hands. You chat. You go to the movies. And this isn't just killing time. This is communicating your spiritual love for this person, this, your, phys- your inner presence. You're communicating your inner self to the person by physical means, which is the only means we have. There's one good line in this terrible song, a terrible song, What a Wonderful World, which you probably know, but there's one good line in it. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. And I think that's true. So often we're talking about a TV show we saw. We're talking about, you know, a meal. We're talking about the news. But what we're really saying to this person is, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to talk with you. Physical things communicate spiritual truths. The reason that sex scenes in movies are almost always unnecessary and wrong, and I say this as someone who, you know, will cancel my vacation to see a good sex scene, but the the reason sex scenes in movies are almost always exploitative, unnecessary, and wrong is because men are stimulated through what they see, through the eye. And the physical power of a woman's nakedness on screen makes it almost impossible to experience the deeper feelings that are being expressed in that scene. Alfred Hitchcock said, I think it was to Truffaut, he said, you should never show people having sex and you should never show show them praying. And he didn't explain why he said that, but I, I believe the reason is because the image doesn't convey the inner truth. The inner truth is too big to be conveyed by an image and the image supplants the other truth. The other day, I watched an old movie called Haunted Honeymoon. It's based on a very famous uh, Peter Whimsey mystery by the classic mystery writer Dorothy L. Sayers. I think it was her last Peter Whimsey uh, mystery. It was called, um, what was it called? Uh, well, I can't remember. Um, but but anyway, in this, Lord Peter has married Harriet Vane. One of, this is one of the most famous marriages in mystery fiction. And in the movie, there's this totally wordless scene on the wedding night. They're in this house, and... Uh, Harriet Vane is played by this absolutely gorgeous little-known actress named Constance Cummings, and she's waiting in the bedroom for Robert Montgomery. She's standing by the window. It's a moonlit night, and Whimsy comes in, and he takes her hand, and they stand side by side and look out the window at the moonlit night, and they fade to dawn. And I was watching that, and I thought, that has got to be one of the sexiest sex scenes I have ever seen. Because they're staring out the window at the world, And their world is about to change because they're married and they're standing next to each other. You know they're thinking about their bodies and about sex and that they're headed to bed. And that captures something that the sex scene can't. The reason I said in chapter one that abortion and induced transgenderism and white supremacy and woke racism and queer theory and Jew hatred are all part of the same evil is because they all express the same thing, the denial that this material world is really a language that speaks of the spirit. You can only deny that truth when you live in your mind, in your theories, in your ideologies, where you can convince yourself that the people you are destroying don't have souls. When you see those bodies torn up in planned parenthood, when you see what gender-affirming care really means to a body, when you look at what they did to people in the killing fields of Israel, Hamas did to people, purposely, not just accidentally, not just in the horror of war, but with intent, giggling, laughing, calling their parents to brag about it, then we remember in horror what we are and what we should be, not just in ourselves, but to one another. 
Winston Churchill said, we are not spirits. We're spirit, we are spirits, not animals. We are spirits, not animals. And we are living right now in a culture that is working overtime to make people forget that with their wokeism, with their theories, with their ideologies, mostly on the left, but hidden on the far side of the right as well, trying to get us accept, to accept ideas, to accept ideas and to forget souls, to accept bodies, but to forget spirits. And we're just not going to forget it here. It's not going to happen here. We're not going to do it. We're going to build a new, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. We're going to build a new culture within ourselves and pray to God that that culture will spread to the rest of the country because the one we have now is evil. All right, we're not going to do a member block today because we have news that we just think is worth sharing with everybody. Uh, you know, it's just such good news. We want to get make sure everybody who can hear it can hear it. You have often heard me say on the show that uh, Michael Knowles is good for nothing. And I just want to say that I'm, I'm going to take it back. I was wrong. He is actually good for something. And what he is good for is making cigars. If there's one thing this guy knows, it's making cigars. And under the aegis of the Daily Wire, he has now created Mayflower cigars. These are cigars that tobacco is made from the uh, shredded soles of socialists. And it's then rolled on the milky white thighs of Nicaraguan virgins, most of whom were men for some reason. I, I don't know what that's about. But the first day, in like in like 20 minutes, this guy sold out something like what? It's like four billion cigars, right? No, I would say <laughs> be between three and five billion cigars. <laughs> and uh, by the way, Drew, I, I'm glad that you noted the production methods because Gustavo's thighs are the <laughs> supplest ground for rolling a fine Mayflower Dawn or Dusk cigar. Everyone says so. Everyone says. <laughs> well, listen, congratulations. If any, just about everybody deserves this more than you, but but that doesn't matter because it didn't happen to anybody else. <laughs> Thank you. I I feel this is a, a great uh, bookend with the blank book. You know, something that I also <laughs> did not did not uh, have to do much intellectual work for. Th though, actually, when it comes to cigars, there there is a uh, there is a lot of intellectual and cultural work to it. I think that's why it's selling so well. It, I I had very rosy expectations. We're partnering with. It, to my mind, the best cigar factory in the world, certainly the very best in Nicaragua. And I think Esteli Nicaragua is now the cigar capital of the world. Yep. I think it's supplanted Havana years ago. Um, the, the blends are really special. We spent a year putting the blends together. Uh, I, I, I had very exacting standards and we said no to certain factories and blends. And I just think these are both magnificent. The Dawn is a morning cigar. The Mayflower Dusk is the more of an evening cigar, more fuller bodied smoke. But people ask, well, What's it all about? You know, and, and I think, well, it's not, it's not like a cigarette. You know, it's not just a, an addictive thing to feed the appetite. How many cigars have you and I had together? I think yeah. um, 500,000 <laughs> Yeah, yeah that was last Friday, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and the, the best conversations of my life have happened over cigars. Yep, yep. Uh, even the best introspection has happened. I love cigars with buddies. I love cigars alone, maybe with a book, maybe just sitting out and thinking. I like cigars with a drink. I like cigars with a cup of coffee or just sitting, you know, it's, it's one of the very, it might be the only thing in our culture today that forces a man to take 45 minutes, mm -hmm. anywhere 25 to 45 minutes and just sit 
and be with his thoughts and not be hustling and working and not be, I don't know, doing chores or anxious or this or that, just to take a moment and contemplate a simple pleasure as an affordable luxury. You know, you get a really nice scotch. That could be hundreds or thousands of dollars a bottle. You get a really nice, I don't know what, a really nice wristwatch could be thousands of dollars. You can get the nicest cigar, 15 bucks, yeah. <laughs> 20 bucks maybe, you know, I mean, they go higher than that. But uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a simple luxury that everyone can afford. And it's, uh, you know, I like to say they've, they've taken more out of, I've taken more out of them than they've taken out of me, <laughs> as Winston Churchill said. Now, one, the one thing I have to say, though, is if you go to MayflowerCigars.com and try to order them now, they're, it's uh, almost certainly sold out. Um, but you can pre-order. And if you can't pre-order, you can get your name on a list, but you must be 21 or yes, older to course, do so. And some exclusions might apply. Okay. Well, and, but you, you did this though, right? Because I, we, we, yeah. we've been talking about this for, it was a secret. We were talking about it for weeks and this is not like they just slapped your name on these cigars. No. You actually put these things together. Yeah. I, you know, initially when I, I had been pitching this very brand to Caleb and Jeremy for five years or something. Yeah. And I had been thinking about it for 15 years. I always wanted to do the Mayflower brand because I had some ancestors. The ones who weren't on a sardine boat came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> and I loved that idea, this floral idea. It's, it's patriotic, it's American, but it's still elegant. Elevant. It's uh, elegant and sophisticated. Um, but I, I wanted the cigars to be a real cigar. A lot of times you'll see people just take a cigar that already exists in regular production, slap a new band on it, or they'll get some cheap product and they'll just mark it up. And I said, well, I'm not doing that, folks. I'm not putting, I, I have too much pride in my <laughs> cigar smoking. I need this to be a, a blend that you're not going to get in some regular run production that, that's already out there. I want it to be excellent. And I want the price to be competitive because I'm not making this as a cheap money grab to, you know, sell like a t-shirt or a sticker. I am making this cigar for cigar smokers like me, where it's, you know, whatever, 12 to 17 bucks a stick, little, little discount on the boxes. It's not nothing, but it's also, it's the sort of thing that I will, I can go into a shop yep. and I, I can pay for that. And I think it's well, well worth it. Uh, so when we were able to partner up with our uh, production and distribution partners in Nicaragua and Pennsylvania, I, I had known of these guys for a long time. In fact, this is a little sentimental, but uh, one of my prized possessions is a box of cigars my mother gave me <laughs> when I was uh, 16. And I, I've just saved it you know, ever since. And I, I have it at the big moments in my life, my wedding, birth of my kid. And uh, the factory that made that box of cigars is the same factory no. that is making Mayflower. Yes. Oh, that is, that's, that's good sentimental. I like it that. is that's good sentimental. It's not too <laughs> yeah. sappy anyway. Yeah. And uh, the cigar, we've got the Dawn Cigar. That's for people who prefer a more mild to medium bodied smoke. I, uh, probably more your taste. Yeah. Uh, people who like certain Cubans, it's more their, their taste. Uh, then we've got, I'm smoking the, the Mayflower Dusk, which is a little fuller bodied, a little more aggressive on the flavor profile, a little stronger with the nicotine, more of an evening kind of cigar. But they're both, I, I really, I say this with no uh, sales <laughs> pitch at all. They're both just magnificent. And I, you know, it took, it took a year basically to get it right. But I, I am 99.997% confident these will be the two best cigars that you have ever had in your entire life. There you go. I, I, I actually believe you. I can't believe I'm saying this, but, but you, I mean, this is, this is actually, I mean, some people dream of world peace. Some people dream of like, you know, doing a great work of art. This is actually your, a dream of Yes. Yours. I yeah. said this uh, when I had rosy expectations. I did not expect 
what happened, which is that we sold out of a four-month supply of cigars. And that wasn't a number of picked out of thin air, by the way. Yeah. The leading people in the cigar industry told us <laughs> this and it ambitiously could last you four months. We sold out within 24 hours. I was able, I had some extra cigars being made just for me personally. We threw them up on the website, mayflowercigars.com. Just uh, hopefully I'll be able to skim a few. But I said, okay, if people want it for Christmas gifts, whatever, I'd, I'd like them to be able to have it. Uh, we're, we're hurrying up production from Nicaragua uh, because we, we still have some down there that are ready to go. But you got to remember, this is a, a handmade product. So yeah. something like 300 pairs of hands t- from, from planting to distribution touch a cigar. So you, you, know, you can't rush it. This, this is aged. I mean, you've got to, once the cigar is rolled, it's going to sit in a big wooden room for, for weeks or months. Ah. And I, I, I just will not rush that because we, we arrived at something really spectacular here. And if you, if you try to rush it a month, it, it, you're not going to get that same flavor. So right now you can pre-order you can, and we're still confident that you will get your cigars shipped by December 11th and then arrive before Christmas. Okay. Once that tranche of, of cigars are through and it's going to, whenever it drops again, it's, it'll be gone within hours. Uh, I can't guarantee when the next ones come in. So even I am putting in my orders to get boxes <laughs> from my own company. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, uh, I, I just think if you're going to do it, we're a big media company. We've, we've had success in consumer goods, the razors, right, and the chocolates and everything. But I think if you're going to do a product that is not intended just to punch the libs, it's not intended for, you know, some other political... Mo- this is the first product we've ever launched where the only thing that sells it is the quality. Right, <laughs> and so right. I just felt to rush it would be absolutely crazy. You, it's got to be the perfect blend. And what we have arrived at, I flew down to at least to Miami. There's a story about going to Nicaragua for another time. I flew down to, to Miami, at least, met with the guys who were producing this for us. And I, I believe this is the best stuff they have ever produced. It is just magnificent. And uh, I, I hope that people can get it for Christmas. Yes, yes. I hope I, I can that. get some for Christmas. And we have to say again that you have to be 21 or older to order, and some restrictions may apply. But look, this is, I, I hate to admit it, but this is something you really know about, you, you really love. You actually would not sell. I mean, I mean yeah. the, the very fact that you love cigars and yet have not become a Cuban communist <laughs> speaks to your integrity. I think that that's something we could say. It was tempting because you don't know what Fidel was offering me. He was, he was about $200 away from me flipping, you know, but it wasn't not there yet. And we, yeah, and, and these are not the exploding ones the CIA sent them. These are actually great cigars. Well, I can't wait to try one. I'm, I have to put it off because my voice is, has been weak from uh, talking, but I'll do it uh, on Saturday. Drew, I'm happy to give you a prescription. You need to exercise your lungs and your yeah. No, but on Sunday I'll have my last speech, and then I will I will get these. Knowles, congratulations! I actually I actually am happy for you. I actually, did something worthwhile that you can be proud of. Finally, of, yeah, it only exactly. took eight years it's, at this company. I know, I know. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well done. May, it's MayflowerCigars.com, right? That's right. All right. Great to see you. Good job. All right. All right. That was the lovely and talented Michael Knowles partnering with The Daily Wire to launch Mayflower Cigars, a new line of premium handmade cigars. I can tell you that Michael Knowles knows pretty much nothing about anything except for cigars, about which he actually knows everything. And I'm just excited for this. You have seen us enjoy cigars on Daily Wire backstage. Now you can enjoy that wonderful smoking experience without the annoyance of having us there. Mayflower cigars are the culmination of centuries of tradition, culture, and devotion. All those things the left hates 
so you know they're going to be good. Each cigar is handcrafted, blended, and aged to perfection. You can try the Mayflower Dawn, a tasteful mild to medium body cigar, or try the Mayflower Dusk for a richer, more full-bodied smoke, and you can enjoy them in three different sizes. I'm not saying if you don't smoke these cigars, you're not a man. Who am I kidding? That's exactly what I'm saying. Go to MayflowerCigars.com right now to get your Mayflower Cigars today. You must be 21 years old or older to purchase. Some exclusions may apply. If you, like me, are running a business of one, you have to wear many hats in your day-to-day. But with collective bookkeeping and accounting, don't need to be one of those hats. You can start saving thousands of dollars and hours of your time by letting Collective handle your business's paperwork. Collective is the number one financial solution for freelancers, contractors, and self-employed entrepreneurs like myself that lets you focus on your passion, not your paperwork. Collective handles all of the paperwork you dread, like corporate formation and compliance, taxes, bookkeeping, accounting, and even payroll. And the best part, it's at a fraction of the cost of a CPA. Collective knows that if your business of one makes over $80,000 a year, you will find the most value from their services. Join the thousands of solopreneurs who have saved an average of $10,000 per year on taxes with their structure. Right now, Collective is offering one month free and no onboarding fee when you go to collective.com slash Clavin and tell them Clavin sent you. That's a $550 value for free when you go to collective.com slash Clavin and tell them Clavin sent you. Collective.com slash Clavin. Tell them Clavin sent you. And they may say, just to test you, they may say, well, how do you spell Clavin? So you want to know, it's K-L-A-V-A-N, the joke that never dies. All right, Clavin Clapbacks. The Andrew Clavin Show is too male, too pale, and too stale. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. From Ryan, movies have become one of my favorite forms of art, considering uh, the movies assemble the multiple mediums of acting, cinematography, writing, music, etc. How do you rate a movie? Is it on all categories, one more than another? Um, you know. That, it's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, before you rate a movie, you have to watch a movie. You experience a movie. You put your critical sense aside, and you just watch it and see how it affects you. Does it affect you? Does it reach you emotionally? Uh, does it move you intellectually? Does it create for you an experience that you're going to want to remember? Sometimes you don't even know that until the next day when you think, gee, I totally forgot that movie. It made no impression on me whatsoever. But then if you're a critic or you're somebody who likes to think about these things, you do think about what made something work. So on All Access the other day, I was talking about the film uh, Seven by David Fincher. If you watch that film carefully and you listen to the writing, I personally think it's a terribly written film. I think it is a really, really badly written film. Uh, but it's so brilliantly directed and acted that you don't really realize it until later on. And I think it's an adolescent film, you know, in ideas, but it, you have to give the guy credit, the, right, the director and the actors bring it to life. Um, another movie that I just think is awful um, is, um, uh, well, certainly American Beauty is one of the worst films I've ever seen, uh, And, and it, but you have to listen to what it's saying and, and whether it's real and all this stuff, so you have to take something apart after you wonder whether it's worth taking apart or not, you know, and I mean, sometimes just everything is bad. So a, a film can be, it, it usually is, if, if a film is really good, the writing usually is pretty good. Uh, but again, acting and directing are the main things that, that make something uh, fascinating. Uh, from Caitlin, 
I was crippled by anxiety through much of my 20s and spent so much of my energy asking God for his help. Then I started taking medicine and began applying anti-anxiety strategies like deep breathing and cognitive behavioral techniques. And I've seen real improvement. All of this leads me to wonder, can God actually be trusted? My childhood faith would tell me that God is working through the counselor, the medicine, and the techniques, but I'm not satisfied with that answer. Uh, sincerely, Caitlin, uh, that is the answer. Uh, you know, God works in, through people all the time. Um, you know, when I look back on my life, the people who arrived when I needed them, uh, the people who gave me things and turned bad, you know, difficult situations into good situations, I, I mean, I t- totally believe they were sent from God. And I believe that to the point of some of them, I think, were miraculously uh, sent from God. What did you expect? Did you just expect like, the, you know, like angels to come dancing down? I mean, this is the world. This is the world that we live in. And, and God does do, do those things. And if you don't see God in those things, you're actually missing the event. I read an article the other day by Hank Azaria, the voice, great voice guy who works at The Simpsons, uh, writing about his friendship with Matt Perry, who I was also talking about the, the other day. And uh, Perry helped him overcome his addiction by bringing him to AA. And there were all these people. And Perry said to him, God is drunks, is a bunch of drunks in a room. It's a great line. God is a bunch of drunks in a room. That's absolutely true because the things that happen between people is where the Holy Spirit lives. So I, I congratulate you. I think it's wonderful that God led you to those things. Yeah, you know, uh, you remind me of a joke, a famous joke of a guy is going to his first job interview and he can't find a parking space and uh, he starts to pray and he says, dear God, I want this job so badly. I'm going to be late for my appointment and I'll never get the job if I'm late. Please, please, please give me a, send me a parking space. I will do anything. I will give you know 10% of my income for the rest of my life to the church. I will go to church every Sunday. I'll never for, you know forget you. I'll always believe in you. Please let me find a parking space. And right in front of the building where he has an interview, a car pulls out and the guy says, oh, never mind. There's one now. And <laughs> that's what you remind me of. You've been blessed uh, by God in physical ways and... Um, and you should you should be thankful. That's that's really it. Um, all right. Anything? Have I got time to do one more? Anonymous? Uh, no, that's not going to work. I'm sorry. Uh, Hi, Drew. As a Protestant, has recently been considering other denominations. I would like to ask you why you're Anglo-Catholic rather than Roman Catholic or Anglican. Uh, God bless you from Landon. Uh, and the reason is I don't like the authoritarianism of a church that believes its pope is infallible. But also, I have problems. The sexual attitudes of the Catholic Church have changed over the centuries. They never like to admit they've changed, but they have changed over the centuries. And some of them, uh, I, I have not made peace with at all. And I don't want to be told, you know, I want to be able to say this is wrong in the moment. If I'm, if I'm not just because of my feelings, but because I'm informed by reading the Bible, by reading theologians, by checking out what they say. And I just don't feel that they allow you that freedom in certain ways. In the Catholic Church, we're in the Anglo-Catholic Church. Same theology, but you have a little bit more leeway. We're not going to have a member block today because we wasted our time with that guy. What is his name? Uh, but that's no reason not to become a member. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. K-L-A-V-A-N, dailywire.com slash subscribe. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you'll be plunged into the Clavenless week. You know, there's an interview every Wednesday, but still, since every moment of Clavenlessness is an eternity, it doesn't really matter because it's eternity. However, if you get through the other end of that eternity, it'll be Friday again. We'll be back with The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.